Uh, are you taking kiddos today? Julie is. All right. They're already there. Wow. Hey, I have some really cool news to share with you. Do you remember last, was it last week that I showed the video about Kujip Nazarene Hospital? Okay. And uh, so some of you have already given towards that ministry, and thank you so much. But this morning, as I got up to prepare and I opened my Facebook feed, uh, there was a message on the NCO, uh, uh, North Central Ohio District uh, Facebook page that, um, and I know some of you have, as soon as I shared that video, you've been praying. I know we've been praying for that situation just over this, this period of week. And I want you to know how big God is and how big God moves. Because just in this week, the Prime Minister of Papua New Guinea has committed 7 million kina towards the Kujip Nazarene Hospital. Now, for those of you who don't know the currency translation, this, the, they're, they're, uh, the kina is not, not close to the dollar. It's like our, their kina, one kina is 28 cents American. But he, he committed 7 million, which in U.S. dollars is nearly $2 million to the hospital. And so that ministry is going to continue to grow and thrive. And I think it's because people pray. I think it's pe because people pray and because people give. And I want to remind you that, that next Saturday is the picnic. And, um, and in the first few minutes of the Oregon-Ohio State game, if it's going well for my side, I'll probably put the game on somewhere in the church. If it's not going well, I don't know. My Roku just might not work next Sunday. You'll cover it? Yeah. You'll cover it? You got a blanket you'll put over? <laughs> so I just have to tell you in advance, it's probably not going to go well for, for us. I, I, I recognize that. Um, I'll play the underdog. Um, and so be kind. Um, you know how sometimes you bring gifts when someone loses a loved one. You could bring things to help your pastor next Sunday. I, I, but I want you, if for some reason, some miracle of God, uh, Oregon beats Ohio State, anything I do next Sunday morning, you cannot hold against me for the rest of our relationship. Because it could be very, uh, Michael, I'm sorry, this will be all for you. All for you. So, um, anyhow. Well, hey, we're going to put a punctuation mark on this, uh, this little short four-week series that we've been in. And uh, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Matthew chapter 18. And if you grabbed a bulletin this morning, you saw that you have a sermon note handout, which also has our sermon, uh, our scriptures on it, and some fill-in-the-blanks, too, uh, to, to just kind of help you stay engaged. But over this series, we've been looking at the importance of what we believe about faith, about God, about uh, different pieces of faith. And we've been focusing on this concept of forgiveness. And last week, we looked at the process of uh, we, looked at that it, we looked at the fact that what we believe about unforgiveness matters almost as much as what we believe about forgiveness. And we, did, we discovered some things last week about extending forgiveness. First, we discovered that um, forgiveness is liberating. It has the ability to liberate us from hurts and wounds uh, from the past. We also learned that, that forgiveness is not a weakness, 
And that's important because a lot of times when somebody has hurt you or wounded you, if there isn't some sort of form of reciprocation or, or, or reach out from the person who hurts you, if you extend forgiveness to somebody who's not recon, recognized they hurt you or the, the responsibility that they have to make it right, sometimes when we forgive them, others around us will see that as a form of weakness. And we learned last week that that's not true, that forgiveness and forgiving others is not a a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of power and authority and wisdom given to us by God. We also discovered that forgiveness is not forfeiting justice. So when you forgive someone who's wounded you, that, that doesn't make you weak, and it doesn't mean that you're forfeiting justice, that there's still consequences, and there's still right and wrong, right? And then we also discovered that forgiveness is always appealing to a higher court and justice and allowing his will to be done in those uh, situations. And then we also discovered that forgiveness is not about minimizing sin. Do you, do you know that? That you can forgive someone who's hurt you or wounded you, not forfeit justice and not minimize the sin that they committed against you. You're just simply choosing not to hold that against them, which then liberates you from that pain, right? We also learned that forgiveness is maximizing God in the midst of deep pain, hurt, separation, and desperation. We discovered that forgiveness is not a burden to carry, and forgiveness is not a season of captivity. See, forgiveness is letting go and finding freedom. We discovered that freedom is a gift from God, something that God gives us, and therefore we should be able to give to others. And forgiveness is all about setting the captive free and realizing that you were the captive all along. That in that situation, that circumstance of you being wounded and you've, 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 you've entered this season of just not being able to forgive them, that we discovered that in that season of unforgiveness, it's really you that's been held captive and it's you that have been in bondage rather than the person that you are having a hard time forgiving because a lot of times they don't even know that you're having a hard time of forgiving them see forgiveness is power it's strength and it's freedom and forgiveness is a big deal whether you are receiving it or you are extending it or giving it and see the mark of forgiveness is that someone has left their mark on you. And that, that is, comes in so many different layers. First of all, forgiveness is recognizing that God has made his mark on you. He's let, he set a mark on you because he has forgiven you. And forgiveness is another, pick, another mark that, that forgiveness places on us is that we all have been wounded. We've all been hurt by someone. And that, that mark of forgiveness helps you to recognize and deal with that hurt or wounding. So what do we do with forgiveness? Last week we talked about this overreaching concept that we have been forgiven so we must forgive as well and that we've been held captive by that. But what are the, what are the, what's the biblical approach to forgiveness? Is there, is there a biblical approach to dealing with somebody that's hurt you? And, and then are there, um, what are the mechanics? What are the methods? What is, what, what's the math? How does, a, how does it add up to forgive others? So the first thing I want to do with you this morning is in Matthew chapter 18. I want, to, 
I want to show you the biblical approach to um, addressing someone that has hurt you or wounded you. In fact, as your pastor, um, this is one thing that I really, really want you to, to practice in our relationship. And in fact, I haven't shared this with our board members yet, but this is, this is, a, um, this is something that I want all of my board members and anyone who ever serves a, on the, a church board or a leadership team in our church should always practice. Because inevitably, we've all come into a situation uh, where someone comes to you and says, um, hey, I, I, I just need you to know I'm not going to like, love, care for, or be a part of that person's life anymore because they hurt me or wounded me, and I want you to know it and so that you can treat them the same way I want to, or, or, you know, or, or did you know that they hurt me and, and therefore they shouldn't be able to teach Sunday school anymore. They shouldn't be. Whenever somebody comes to you and says, uh, comes to you and accuses someone else of hurting them, the biblical approach to reconcile that sin, actually there is a biblical approach found in Matthew 18. And if we don't follow this, if you come to me, if you came to me and said, or if I came to you next Monday and said, you won't believe how Michael and Victor hurt me on Sunday because my Oregon Ducks didn't win that game. They wounded me deeply. If I don't follow this biblical approach to resolve that, then the, the buck stops there. We don't talk about it any further. In fact, if you're a board member and you ever come to me and say, well, so-and-so said this, then the first thing I'm going to say is, well, did you go and talk to that person? Did you address that? And So we have this biblical um, authority and concept of dealing with when someone else hurts us. Found in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 20. Here's what it says. It says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. So if someone hurts you, if someone wounds you, don't come to me and trash them. Don't try to exact revenge. Don't. The first thing you need to go do is go to that person that's hurt you and, and, and try to resolve the situation. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. Come talk to your pastor, leaders. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Yes, now we're talking. I can kick them out, right? No, that's not what it means. In fact, biblically, what, what that means, treat them as a pagan or a tax collector, what that meant is you were going to separate yourself from their the way they live, and live in a godly fashion. So what, what, what the Scripture is talking about is you don't kick them to the curb, we don't excommunicate them, we don't put their picture on the wall and say, if you see this person, you don't let them in the door anymore. What we're saying is that you exercise, you exercise a, a healthy biblical responsibility of saying, if, you can't, if we can't come to some conclusion, we can't come to some reconciliation then we're going to choose to just have a healthy separation we're, we're just not going to go there anymore now the mark has been made the wound is obvious on you and you follow this method this mechanism but it doesn't always add up in fact if you've ever had someone hurt you or wound you and you've reached out to them and they don't listen 
And no matter who you bring, they don't listen. You know that the mark has been made. The offense has been there. And it just isn't adding up. The, ma- the mathematics are not there. They, they, they should be, but they're not. Now, the next piece of how we deal with forgiveness and how we extend forgiveness, th- this next piece of Scripture sets the stage for how we are to forgive, and it equates to a time or a season of reconciliation or separation. So verse 18 says this. It says, truly I tell you, this is after you've done this process, truly I tell you, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Verse 19 says, again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, for it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Now wait a second. Don't we use this scripture, this for where two or three, I mean, don't, don't we as pastors stand up and where two or three are gathered, he is with us. And we like use that as this, it's like this great verse to like tell everybody it's so important to be in church and isn't it nice that we're here. And you know what? I didn't recognize this until years into my faith. I didn't recognize that that scripture that so many pastors would come up from, you know, I would be sitting in church and my pastor would come up and he would say, for where two or three are gathered in my name, he is with us. And I, it's a warm, fuzzy feeling, but never did I recognize that that scripture was at the tail end of conflict. It was in the midst of two people fighting and not being able to find reconciliation. Or two people fighting and somehow finding reconciliation. So we as pastors have done a disservice to all of you when we stood up here and said, We're for, for where two or three are gathered, in my name I am with you, and made you feel warm and fuzzy. Because literally what we were doing is we are saying, we're throwing God in the middle of conflict, and He's helping resolve, resolve it. I think, it's, I think my mind was kind of blown by this concept. That we've always looked at that as kind of this warm gathering, kind of nice thing, when actually... It means two people who believe in God are struggling with something. And if you want reconciliation, this is how you're going to find it. How crazy is that? We get this phrase when, when two people or more people are in the midst of conflict, when they're in the midst of unforgiveness. You see, we are to bind it here on earth that wound, that offense. We're to bind that offense here on earth, which means reconciling should be a priority in this life. What, what that means is that when we talk about binding on, we want to bind that now, we need to make that a priority in this, priority in this life so we don't carry it with us forward. We need to bind it in this season. We need to bind it in this situation this relationship as many times as possible because what is done here will be recognized up there and forgiveness is always the seed of reconciliation if you can agree if you can agree if you can come together whatever else needs to be done my father will that's what it means whatever needs to happen if you can agree if you can come to a conclusion, whatever it is, your Father in heaven will 
accomplish that. For where two or more are gathered or come together for mutual benefit, God says, I am with them. See, we need forgiveness to add up. But so many times, the numbers don't add up. I mean, they just bust up. They just break up relationships. So let's take a look at what, I, what I'd like to call the mathematics of forgiveness. Now, just like us, the disciples struggled to figure out forgiveness as well. I mean, they, they struggled. They were, they, were, they were ministering with Jesus. They were, they were traveling with him. He was seeing, they were seeing Jesus forgive hundreds and thousands of people, forgiving them of their sins, inviting them into the kingdom of God, inviting them into what they called at the time the way, the way of Jesus. And yet in all of that, in all of the moments where Jesus was extending forgiveness, the disciples were still struggling with the concept of forgiveness because they were human and they had this propensity to be unforgiving. So Peter, in this moment where this, this confusion and this struggle is kind of coming to, to a, a, a critical moment, Peter asks Jesus, how does it all add up? How does it add up? How do we forgive and how do, how do the mathematics of it work? And, and Peter, being kind of a, a rational, straightforward thinker, he wants to know, is there a limit to the amount of times I should forgive someone? I mean, maybe you have been hurt by the same person multiple times, and you've even asked the question, well, how many times do I forgive this person? How many times should I? And Peter asks this question. He says, is there a, a limit on the method and mechanism of forgiveness? Now, because of the depths of the mark that people make on us when they wound us, because of the, de the depth of the wounds, the severity of the injuries, I know that it's difficult to, to even think of some sort of measure of how many times I'm supposed to forgive somebody. You might even say that it's impossible to for forgive some people. You might even be sitting here right now and there's someone in your life and you're like, I'm tried, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, but it is impossible for me to forgive this person. Well, Scripture speaks differently because Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And, and, and all things doesn't just mean, you know, I can muster the strength to do this or that or the other thing. It means I can muster the strength and the courage to forgive as well. Strength to do what it takes to bring reconciliation and healing. Strength to stand firm in what I believe. Strength to stay in a marriage when it seems to be falling apart. Strength to stay in a job that just doesn't seem to be working out, but I believe the Lord has placed me there. Strength to stay firm as a parent when you're leading and guiding your children. Also gives you the strength to leave a very unhealthy relationship or marriage. And it gives you the strength to live and the freedom that forgiveness will bring. Ultimately, strength to live. Now Peter and the other disciples, they were at a loss. They just couldn't come to grips with how Jesus kept forgiving. And so in Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35, we see how Jesus addresses Peter's confusion, his, his inability to, to do the math. So Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times 
shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Now, you need to understand something about this question. Some people think that Peter might have been coming to try to, um, try to make himself be more than he was. Some, some think that Peter may have been bringing this question to Jesus to kind of elevate himself in the ministry. Let me show you, Jesus, how, how you know, I've seen you forgive, and I know that it's a difficult concept. And you'll, you'll see this in a moment when, when Peter tries to throw his math into the equation. And, and, and some think that this was just finally the other disciples that they've been talking and somebody's got to ask the question. So they, and so they, there's this underlying thought that maybe Peter's heart wasn't even into asking this question. But I think that that's not the case. I think this was a question, a deep question that Peter and even the other disciples had been really struggling with and they really, truly wanted the answer. And so Peter whether it's in an attempt to show his, uh, his math in regards, regarding grace or forgiveness, or whether it's him just kind of finally bringing the question, he says to Jesus, how many times? How many times do I forgive my brother or sister? Up to seven times? I mean, seven's a good number, right? Seven's a godly number. Seven's the, the, seven's the, uh, the, the that number means completion, right? We, seven days created in seven days. We hear that all throughout the Bible, right? So that's a good number. Peter thinks he's led with a good, a good number. But Peter didn't understand. And he, was, and, and he didn't understand the concept. In fact, when things are difficult, um, when things get really difficult and we don't know the answer, rather than trying to figure it out on our own, we need to call on Jesus for help. We need to go through the process of, of, of trying to understand the depth that Jesus forgives us and the depth and the desire that he has to have reconciliation with us so that we can understand how to do that in, other, in our lives towards others. We need to understand that sometimes that there has to be a degree of separation. Now, you need to understand, I, I do believe, regardless of the angle, I think Peter's motives were pure in asking this question. And seven was a good number. I mean, it was a good place to start. And after throwing this number out, Jesus answers. He says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And this is an altogether different kind of math problem. This is a different equation to forgiveness. See, Peter is searching for a bottom line. And Jesus' answer, even though you could sort of do the math, it's not a bottom line. And that's what we need to understand about forgiveness. There is no bottom line to the amount of times that we are to forgive or that you can be forgiven. The other thing that we need to understand in this exchange between Jesus and Peter is this was not a reprimand. Peter was not getting scolded for his small number with Jesus throwing out a much larger number. And you need to know that if you struggle with forgiving someone and Jesus is working on your heart about extending forgiveness, it's not a reprimand. It's not Jesus sort of scolding you that you should be more forgiving. 
we also need to recognize that in Jesus' math and the way that he works, his economy, there's no limitation to the amount of times that we are to forgive. There's no lid and there's no bottom line. But for us, there seems to always be some sort of bottom line. There has to come to, there has to, for us, there has to come to a point where my responsibility to forgive someone who's hurt me ceases. Right? Or wrong? I mean, is there, could there be a situation, a circumstance, a number of times where it's just enough's enough? See, the challenge, the problem with that is, is that Jesus says no. There's, no. there's no ceiling. There's no limit. There's no bottom line. Again, not, not there, you don't have a responsibility to stay in a bad or a dangerous place, but you still have a, a responsibility to find it in your heart, find it in your soul to be able to forgive someone because even in a circumstance where you know you need to exit, forgiveness is still key. Because if you've exited, if you've, if you've had to move or separate yourself from a situation, the inability to forgive will only keep you captive. You see, we as humans, and Peter, he was looking for a standard of forgiveness. And Jesus says it's not a standard system. See, forgiveness is capitalizing on the power of the one person who used his power to forgive you, to forgive others. See, we need to discover how to tap into the power that forgave us to forgive others. So Jesus, he sees Peter's confusion, so he gives him. He gives him an example. The math isn't adding up. So Jesus gives Peter an example. He gives him a story. He tells him a story about a, a situation that might make sense, that might help him discover what Jesus is really alluding to. And in, in, in this story, Jesus doesn't, doesn't give us how to forgive. He gives us the why to forgive. It's found in Matthew 18, 23 through 35. So it's here. It says, Therefore, because you're struggling with this, Peter, and because you're struggling with the math, let me give you an example. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. See, the scale of the debt was way beyond comprehension it was way beyond what this guy could ever pay back this is for us specifically because jesus wants us to recognize the scale of debt in comparison to our own so he has this monster debt and the king orders his whole family locked up to be sold to pay the debt at this the servant the man with the huge debt he fell on his knees before him and he said be patient with me and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him. He saw him in his, in his circumstance, in his season, in the situation he was in. He, he, saw, he saw the ability or the inability that this person would ever have to pay back the debt. 
and what that would mean in regards to leading and raising and caring for his family. The master saw this in this individual. And he says, so he canceled the debt and he let him go. He saw that man in his circumstances and his situation and he said, all right, the debt's canceled. I was just a moment ago ready to sell your whole family to, to pay a small, measly portion of this debt back, but because now I see you and I see what you've experienced, I'm forgiving this debt completely. Go. This is the gospel. This is the gospel for you and me. This is exactly how it went down for you and me. When we came to Christ, that's exactly what happened. We had this huge debt. We couldn't pay it. There was no ability for us to repay it. There was no, hey, I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. First Popeye reference as your pastor. Yep. There was no way, but Jesus said that's okay. I covered it. I covered it. It's finished. It's done. And we, we must never forget this. Never forget the price that was paid. Never forget the measure extended to us. See, we need to constantly live in the appreciation of forgiveness so we may have the propensity to forgive as well, which will also help us overcome our propensity to be unforgiving. See, we, we must constantly remember, recognize and respond to the grace that we are given because the level of grace we want to receive must be the same as the level of grace we extend because the forgiven forgive. Not so that we can forgive, but because we're forgiven. So what's given is not so easy to forgive, though. So often we miss it. And that's the one thing we can't miss. It's too important. So, so all too often, we, we miss the measure that we've been forgiven, especially when it comes to forgiving others. The king cancels the debt. Now look at what happens in this man's life after the king has canceled this huge debt when the servant went out. I mean, he's just on his knees. No hope. And all of a sudden, the debt is wiped clean. The servant goes out, and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He owed bags of gold. He goes out, and he finds a man who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed the man, and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and he begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. One minute he's on his knees begging and the next minute he brings someone else to their knees. Did he forget what it was like? Did he, felt, did he forget what that felt like just a few moments ago? Could he not see the difference in depth of debt? I mean, do we ever do this? Do, do you ever carry offenses? Even though you may have been forgiven, do you carry those, for, those offenses? Do you ever chase down offenses? 
Let's get back to this man. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and they told their master everything that had happened. Hey, you know that guy you just forgave for those bags of gold? He just threw a guy into jail for a hundred silver coins. The master, he called the servant back in and he said, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Isn't it interesting how every time you don't forgive, you're the one that gets thrown into prison? You're the one that's tortured? That's what happened to this guy. You have to wonder, did this guy understand what he had been forgiven of? I mean, he must have. He must have walked out of there recognizing the, the, the depth of the debt that was repaid, the freedom that he now possessed. He, he couldn't have missed it. He shouldn't have missed it. But for some reason, he did. And for so many of us, that's the same. We, we, we know the debt that's been paid on our behalf. Yet for some reason, we keep carrying it. We, we, we can't extend it. We can't miss it. See, understanding our own forgiveness is critical to our ability to forgive others. And our ability to forgive is the, the byproduct of our belief and understanding of our own forgiveness. Because there are consequences and ramifications to unforgiveness. Verse 3. Verse 35 says, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Remember that forgiveness is the process of releasing someone of a debt that they owe you because of the pain that they caused you. See, this is the gospel of grace. This is your gospel of grace. My gospel of this is what I received. So I must do the same. This is what you received. So you must do the same. I'm a believer in the gospel of grace. Are you a believer in the gospel of grace? I'm a forgiven person. And because I'm a forgiven person, you know what I, I don't get to do anymore? I don't get to chase down offenses anymore. I... I, I, I don't even get to get even with people that have hurt me. I think it's interesting that on the day that I'm preaching this last message, there was a person in our church in Oregon who, who, who wounded me um, about a year and a half into my ministry. And we were, we, were, we were okay. I mean, our relationship was okay, but this wound was there and it lingered and it had ramifications. I got to church this morning. I went into my office and I got a text message this morning from that person that said, hey, pastor, I woke up and the Lord put your name on my heart. I'm praying for you today. How are you doing? From the person that, that, that created probably the largest wound that created the most difficulty in our previous ministry. And he texts me this morning. How does that happen? It's God. I don't get to get even. I don't get to pay back. 
I let God do what God does best. The gospel of grace is our gospel of grace personally and intimately. If you're a believer, then you've got to be a believer in the gospel of grace. If you're a forgiven person, you don't get to chase down. You don't get to get even. You don't get to pay back because we've been forgiven by a just God and that just God will bring justice in His time and His place in those situations. And if you continue to hold on to that, the only person being held captive, the only person whose wound will not heal is you. And because the measure you have been forgiven is great, you must forgive the same. Here's a little, this is in your notes, this is my little saying. If you don't give it, you don't get it. And if you've got it, give it. So let's do something about it. If you've got it, give it. Let me help you begin the process of forgiveness. First, let me clarify. Forgiveness is what you do. You do in your heart and your head. This doesn't mean, doesn't always mean that reconciliation will happen. Forgiveness is what you do. Forgiveness is, is recognizing what God did for you and forgiving someone else in the same manner. Forgiveness is what, our, what we do. It's our part. Reconciliation is what God does. God brings those things back together. Reconciliation is what God does when two or more who are gathered in my name and he shows up in the midst of conflict, in the midst of difficulty. See, forgiveness is between you and Jesus it's your response to the gospel. Forgiveness is how we exercise the gospel in our lives. And it doesn't mean that we jump into a bad relationship again. It doesn't mean we run out and get wounded again. It just means that we embrace and accept forgiveness in our lives and we extend it to someone else so that we can finally be free from that. Because reconciliation and forgiveness are different things. But we need to begin with forgiveness. Begin recognizing that I've got to let that person go from the wound or the hurt that they caused me. I, I've got I've to not hold that against them anymore. I've got to quit chasing them down over that. I've got to quit trying to pay them back. I've got to quit trying. I've got to quit being resentful and hurt when I see that they have some measure of success and I don't. See, all of those things, all they do is keep you in bondage keep you in this miserable place and if you can finally just say lord jesus you forgave me i'm forgiving them and i'm letting them go and i'm giving them to you and i'm just going to pray for them i'm just going to i'm just going to pray that god and you know i'm not going to pray like lord jesus i forgive them so smite them bring justice rain it down i don't want to that's not what i'm talking about when you pray for them you just pray for them and you just say lord jesus they're yours do whatever you need to do in their lives so that we could be a family again, that we could be friends again. Just do whatever, not what I need, but whatever you need to do to transform that person's heart. Here's the other thing that you need to recognize. If you are a Christ follower and you have been forgiven and you struggle 
with the inability to forgive someone else, and if you chase it down, and you run after it all the time, and you, whatever, you know what you're going to do? You're going to keep, you're going to, you're going to prohibit God from being God. Because God can do a miracle there. He can do something beyond your wildest expectations if you'll get out of his way. If you'll just let them go, if you'll just forgive them and pray for them. You, God may do something that will blow you away, blow your mind. But if you keep getting in the way, if you keep holding on, and if you keep bringing this, this measure of their offense, no matter how much of the measure you've been forgiven, then we're going to prohibit God from being God. And ultimately, ultimately, you'll stay in the bondage of unforgiveness. So let it go today. Let it go. Well, uh, last week, we gave you that little prayer that you could pray. There's some more back on the table. Take it home. Do your very best to let that person go. Give that person to God. Give the whole circum, everything about it to God. Pray that prayer over them and let God be God. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for your word and we thank you for how Jesus will just take, um, take a, a, a person that we can relate to like Peter and we can, we, can, we can jump into this conversation that you had with Peter and, and see that what Peter was trying to come, the, the, the conclusion, the place he was trying to get to uh, as the spokesperson for the others uh, and even for himself was the place that so many of us want to come to. We want to... We want to come to this understanding of how do we move past someone hurting us? How do we forgive them? I mean, is there a measure? And, and Lord Jesus, in, in, in this moment, and what we are able to learn today is that, God, there is no limit. There's no ceiling. There's no measure. Because the measure that you've forgiven us is the same measure that we are called to extend, that we're inspired to extend. We should so want to extend it because of how we've received it. And so, God, for, for whoever may be here today that, 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 that has been in this prison of unforgiveness, they've, they've been in this, this their, their self-imposed jail cell of unforgiveness towards someone, let them finally be from, free from that. Just give them a moment today or later today as they go through that prayer that we talked about last week where they let that person go, they let the offense go, and they finally are able to let, let you be, be who you are and, who, and what you do best, which is reconcile. And in, a, in the spirit of, of, of forgiving others, help us to also find the maturity and, and the stability in our faith to recognize that this, this act of forgiveness that we extend to someone else, it, it frees us. And it, and, it, and, it, and it doesn't necessarily require someone reciprocating. Because your, your, your intent, God, your intentions are to free us from these things that bind us. And we can't control what the other person does. And so as we work through this, let us recognize that the response on the other end has no bearing on the freedom that we find in forgiving them. It has no bearing on how we forgive them because ultimately, Lord, it is us that you want to set free from this. And in the process in your power and in your glory and your, in your grace, would you bring the wounded person, the hurt person, the person that hurt us to a place that is, that is so that we can, we can speak this scripture over the relationship where two or more are gathered, 
when we let God in in this relationship, in this situation, that God, you heal and restore and reconcile. So may God, you move with us. May you help us to do this. May you help us find freedom and stay in that freedom, live in that freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Have an awesome day. We'll see you next Sunday.